Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Oh man, there's nothing like Easter worship, is there? It's not getting better than celebrating news that's that good. And so we get to lean in here a little bit together today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn there. I was uh, talking to my kids recently, and uh, a, some of their friends came out of the house, and one of them, their friends began to tell us a story about uh, a time that she had experienced with my middle son, Jake. And uh, Jake had gone to a dance, and like most guys do, he didn't want to dance. So he actually stepped outside and was standing outside by the fire. And this young lady had gone through kind of a breakup or a hard conversation, or just some dude had done something he shouldn't have done and been mean to her, and guys don't do that. But she had stepped outside to call her mom, and she was in tears, and she was telling the whole story to her mom. And then as soon as she got off the phone, talking to her mom, talking, talking about all this stuff, she turned and looked and realized Jake was sitting right next to her. And she had no idea that he was sitting just behind her as she told the story. So he kind of looked and was like, hey. And uh, he said, are you doing okay? And they began to talk. And as she told him a little of what had gone on, um, she said she was there and she felt a little uncomfortable, but she was just grateful that he seemed to be caring enough for her. And, uh, and just as they, uh, they began this conversation, Jake said, well, he kind of looked at her and said, well, he said, the way I see it, the past can hurt and you can either run from it or you can learn from it. She said she sat and thought about that a little bit and she was just processing. And as she told the story to us later, she said, I just thought, man, this is such a good guy. Jake is such a wise friend. I'm so glad God put Jake in this place at this time so that I could have this conversation with him. And then Jake turned and looked at her and said, that's actually a quote from the Lion King. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, I was proud of Jake to some degree to be there and have something to offer to this young lady. Uh, but here's the reality for us is that our hopes are only as strong <clears throat> as the source that they come from. And the reality of our lives is that we all wrestle with sin and suffering in a broken world. We all wrestle with the ups and downs of life. And when we're in those moments, when we're dealing with the hardships of life, when we're looking at the difficulties, we're looking at the ultimate questions of life, we need a hope that's stronger, frankly, than the Lion King. We need, we need a hope that's stronger than Hollywood. We need a hope that's stronger than the greatest novels. We need a hope that's greater than, than the, the songs that uplift our spirit when we're down. We need a hope that will last, and we need something to point us in the right direction. And uh, we're going to continue to look at Acts 13. We've been studying through the book of Acts in our church, and uh, this isn't one of those things like Easter's not a big deal. We're just going to stay at the passage. We actually built our study of Acts around trying to get to this point at Easter because we want you to understand something. Acts is all about the early church and what was important to the early church. And I want you to understand today that the resurrection of Jesus 
was so woven into the fabric of the early church that it showed up over and over and over again. And so as we look at Acts 13, what happens is Paul, who was an enemy of the faith, who was an enemy of Christianity, who had rejected Christ, who actually sought out Christians in order to drag them away and throw them in prison, had been converted because he had an encounter with the living, risen Jesus. And it changed everything about him. And so you get to Acts 13, and this is the first recorded sermon that we have of Paul. And what happens is uh, they're in the synagogue and they're worshiping. And someone says, does anyone have a word of encouragement for all the people? And Paul says, I got one. And he's going to offer a word. And the word that he's going to offer to them is the word resurrection. So, So after Paul had seen the living Jesus, if he had any one word of encouragement to offer, it was that Jesus was alive. That was the most encouraging thing he could offer. Friends, you need to understand as we come to Easter, I know we do Easter every year and you come and there's bunnies and eggs and sunshine and all the things. And we talk about the resurrection. We come in and we sing the songs and we do the thing that we do every Easter. But you need to understand that the resurrection is not just a symbol of new beginnings. It's not just an image of hope. It's not just springtime after winter. It's not just a do-over, a new chance or a new beginning for you. The resurrection is so much bigger than that. And frankly, if we understand the resurrection and we comprehend it, then all of life takes on new meaning and new hope, both now and forevermore. Friends, resurrection is the oxygen of the Christian faith. It's what gives us life. And so let's lean in here and let's dive into what it is uh, that that we can learn from Paul's sermon about resurrection in Acts chapter 13. So I'm not going to read the whole thing today. I'm only going to read uh, verses 26 to 33, and then we're going to jump down to 38 and 39. So Paul says this, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and for their their rulers, because they did not recognize him, did not understand the utterances of the prophets, which read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning them. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have Jesus executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring to you good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed or justified from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is the word of the Lord. It's Paul's sermon about the resurrection of Jesus. It was the one word of encouragement he wanted to offer to us. But you notice he also starts with a warning. He actually starts with a a concern. And the concern is this. He said all throughout the the history of Jesus' life on earth, uh, there were people that had listened for years of their lives to the word of the scriptures. They'd come to church. They'd heard the truth of the Old Testament scriptures that had been read in the synagogue in Jerusalem. They'd seen wherever it was that they worshiped. uh, They'd heard the prayers. They'd heard all these things as realities but they did not connect the dots and understand where they pointed, that they pointed to Jesus, to the Messiah, to the one that came. And here's the problem that we should be a little bit nervous about today. We people have an amazing capacity to hear without, uh, without hearing, to listen without being impacted by the words. I remember 
Uh, just to picture this, when I, the first time I went on a ropes course, any of you have been on a ropes course? Some of you, come on, you got to talk to me. You guys got to go loosen up here a little bit, okay? Uh, how many of you liked going on a ropes course? How many of you were terrified? Yeah, I was terrified. Here's why I was terrified, because I didn't listen to what they explained before I did it. And so when I got on the ropes course, I thought the entire time depended upon my ability to navigate and to climb every, uh, every apparatus that I was on. I thought if I let go, I'm going to fall to my death. And so the entire time I'm doing one of these and my, my fists are clenched as tight as they could be. And by the time I'm done, my forearms are killing me. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't think I can hold on any longer. And I, it was not an enjoyable experience. It was an excruciating, exhausting experience. Why? because I didn't understand the most simple fact of the way this thing worked, that I was safe, that I could have jumped and just dangled from the ropes and been totally fine. But instead I was gripping for dear life because my, everything depended upon me. What Paul's saying is that, that God has given you a bigger promise than what you realized. And he was trying to help the, 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 the Jews of that time to understand that you understand part of the gospel, but you don't understand the whole thing. You missed the point. And so you're working yourself to the bone and you're exhausted and you're tired and you never feel the freedom that you were meant to feel by the promise of God. See, they didn't understand the Bible, though they had heard it every week. Friends, it's interesting that Paul, and really nowhere, when you look at the scriptures, nowhere do you see someone come to an approach that says, you should believe this just because I said so. Nowhere do you see people come and say, you should believe this just because it'll make you feel better. It'll make you emotionally and psychologically a little more well-adjusted. You should just accept it and, and, and try to shift your life around a little bit. There's actually a reasonable approach. And Paul goes back and he builds a reasonable case for why they should have trusted the gospel. In fact, what Paul does is he goes back to the very beginning. He walks through Israel's history. He goes back to Genesis and Exodus. And he walks them from that all the way up to Jesus. In fact, what he says over and over and over, he shows how God was faithful to them. He says, God chose this this people. God made them a great people. God led them out of Egypt with an uplifted arm. He put, uh, put up with them when they disobeyed in the wilderness. He gave them the land. He gave them judges to bring about freedom. He gave them the king they wanted in Saul. And because he was a bad king, he replaced him with a better king named David, who delivered them for that generation. And then it's interesting because Paul, as he builds this case, jumps a thousand years from David straight to Jesus. He says, and God gave them a savior. And what he's saying is that Abraham and Moses and the judges and the prophets and the law and King David all pointed to Jesus. And they should have been able to connect those dots, but they didn't see it. And so what happened was that although God was faithful to them over and over and over, they continued to rebel and run away from the Lord. And in that, they sought and brought about their own destruction. In fact, the ultimate rebellion that they committed was that they actually condemned Jesus when he showed up on the scene that the promised deliverer, the one that God said back in Genesis 3, uh, he said that there will be one of a seed, there will be a seed of a woman who will come and stomp the head of the serpent. He said to Abraham that, I will be, I, that through your one seed, you will become a blessing to all the nations. And he said that there will be one who will keep the law of Moses in a way that no one else did, that there will be a king who's greater than David who, who will fulfill all of the law and he'll fulfill it in a perfect sense. And he will be the king that's a greater king than David ever was. And he jumps and he says, in fact, there was a guy named John the Baptist that showed up on the scene during this time. And what John the Baptist said is, look, I'm, I may be able to point you to God, but I'm not him. I'm not God's deliverer. In fact, I'm not worthy to be a slave that ties the shoes of the one that God is sending to save you. 
named Jesus. And so Paul is trying to connect the dots for them, and he says, yet you condemned him when he showed up on the scene because you missed it. You didn't see what it was that you were caused to do. In fact, it says that Jesus was condemned for his sins that he did not commit. They found no grounds for his death. said he died upon a tree. That's a reference to the Old Testament. The Old Testament said that there was a divine curse upon anyone who died upon a tree. And the New Testament says when Jesus died upon the cross, it was a fulfillment of that promise of those who died upon a tree. And he says that God, though, will deliver him. Now, it's interesting in verse 27, it says that these were, all these prophecies were fulfilled through their condemning him, meaning everything that the Bible said was going to happen to Jesus happened. And that even in their evil and their rejection of him, they actually were fulfilling the things, uh, the facts about Christ and the Messiah that was to come. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you three keys to understanding the resurrection and what it means for you. I want to give you just three simple keys that tell you what it is the resurrection means for you. Uh, the first is facts. You need to understand that uh, the, the facts about the gospel, that this is a credible message. This is not something that we made up. In fact, the, the facts or the events of the gospel is that Jesus was innocent. Verse 28 says, they found no guilt in him worthy of death. So he, even by their own estimation, they found nothing to charge him with. And so he was innocent. Jesus died upon a cross. Verse 29 says they took him down from the tree because he died up on the piece of wood. Jesus was laid in a tomb. Verse 29, we see verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. He was resurrected. That's the essential facts of the gospel. What you need to understand, that Christ was innocent. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised again. This is the message of the gospel and really what Christianity is all about. Now, here's the thing. We get so used to the Easter message, I think it's easy for us to stop marveling at it. Uh, chances are, when I told you those four things, for most of you, this wasn't the first time you'd heard those things to be true. The first time you'd heard that Jesus died on a cross, it probably isn't the first time you heard that Jesus was buried in a tomb or that Jesus rose again from the dead. Uh, but this should be shocking, mind-blowing stuff. Imagine going back 500 years and saying, uh, describing to someone what it's like to pull a piece of stone out of your pocket and talk to someone in Europe uh, on FaceTime. Like, they would not understand what you're talking about, but if you literally pulled out a, something that looked like a piece of stone or a piece of wood to them and said, hey, let me show you uh, this person that's literally across town and you can talk to them in real time, it would completely blow their minds. Hey, if you go back uh, a thousand years and you were on a ship on the ocean in the open seas somewhere and you began to talk to the ship's captain and said, hey, someday, you see that little light up in the sky, that big round ball? Um, someday people are going to build an airship and they're going to fly up there and walk around on that, that little thing that floats across the sky every day. They wouldn't have believed you. Uh, some people today don't believe it to be true, but uh, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like there are things that happen in life that ought to be mind-blowing and, and they ought to be uh, just kind of earth-shattering dues and the resurrection should be like that for us. That we should, we should never get casually just get used to the idea that Jesus died, laid in a tomb for three days, punched death in the face, and then walked out on his own. Like, that's radical, crazy stuff. And we should never become so comfortable with it that, uh, that, that it just becomes second nature for us. In fact, <clears throat> when we see these words, they ought to blow our minds. But God raised him from the dead. He was dead, and then he was alive. The disciples were shocked. In fact, 
We need to understand that Jesus' resurrection was physical. It was not just some vision or some imagination. It wasn't just some mystical experience or some idea that they had. It wasn't just kind of some ghost that appeared sometimes, but he was physically resurrected. When the disciples saw Jesus, they knew who he was. They recognized him. The disciples, it says, they fell at his feet. Mary clung to him. Thomas touched his wounds. Peter shared a meal with him. People recognized his voice when he talked. He appeared to over 500 people at one time and appeared to hundreds of people over 40 days consecutively. This is a well-attested event of history that people have seen. This is not some figment of their imagination. And yet there's also this sense that when Jesus was physically present, they recognized him, but he was also somehow more than what he used to be that he was somehow glorified. There was some sense in which he had an earthly body. He still had a body, but it was a glorified body. There was a sense in which Jesus was still Jesus, but he was almost more of Jesus than what they had even seen or understood before because of the quality of his being imperishable and incorruptible in some new way. And I think this is important because people mess this up all the time. And when I go to funerals and when I talk to people, when they, uh, wrestle, they wrestle with death and resurrection and what it means, we, we so often miss the, the importance of everything that it says. If Jesus was just another good man who's now a dead man, friends, there's no hope for us behind, beyond this life. If Jesus was just a good man who's now a dead man, there's really no hope that Jesus can offer to you and to me. But if God raised him from the dead then there's infinite hope for today and for tomorrow and for every day, um, ever after. Friends, as we need to understand, so let's talk about what the resurrection is not. The resurrection is not a do-over. The resurrection doesn't mean that you get a second chance to try harder and live longer and become better. That's not what the resurrection is about. The resurrection is not revivification, which is, everyone say that word with me, revivification. Yeah, it's just awkward, isn't it? But what that word means, what revivification means, I can barely say it, means is that you stopped breathing and then somehow you're revived and started breathing again. Uh, that's not resurrection. What that means is just that you started breathing again until you die the next time. And so you, you're going to live a little bit longer, but you're not really made new. You're not really made incorruptible or imperishable. You just are revived for a little bit of time. Resurrection is not just life after death. Many people think that we become spirits and go float around in the skies. Uh, You're not going to become a fat baby angel. You understand that to be true. You will never be an angel, no matter what some Christmas movie says. Uh, You will be you in the resurrection, but you will be more you than you ever realized because Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection and what he was, we will follow and we will become like him. Resurrection is your physical body being made new so that you experience life as you never believed it. It's life that's better and deeper and more magical than anything you ever imagined. It's more of who you were created by God to be in the first place. It's that without any restrictions, without any fetter, without any limitations, without any corruptibility. But it's you unleashed completely to the glory of God, more alive than you've ever been. Friends, when you think about what it means to be resurrected, it's you physically, but you have a heavenly body that's raised in glory, incorruptible, immortal, made like Jesus, living in a world where Jesus reigns over all things, having vanquished all evil and sorrow forevermore. 
That's the resurrection. When we put our faith in Christ, we're immediately united to Christ. We're raised up with Christ. We're made new creations by the Spirit that that Christ sent to us. We're filled with hope as we await the resurrection that will one day come. And then we look forward to the day when we will reign with him in earth with glory that's indescribably wonderful. This is what all of the resurrection points us toward. And he's going to return one day. Friends, can you just breathe deep of resurrection oxygen? Can you just like, let it fill your soul. Resurrection is life forevermore. And the fact that Jesus walked out of the grave means that you one day when you go to the grave will also be resurrected and you will live here on earth forevermore in the new earth when he's come to make all things right. Friends, if Jesus would have stayed in the grave, we wouldn't even know his name today. Do you realize that? If Jesus was just some crazy prophet that threw out some ideas and loved a few people along the way and then died and went to a tomb and never stepped out, we would not be talking about him today. But today, there are billions of people in in every tongue and language around the planet that are speaking about the resurrection and they're singing and worshiping him as we did because they've tasted and seen the living Jesus and what it means to have faith in him. Friends, if Christ is still in the tomb, then we might as well say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Because there is no further hope for us in this life. But if God raised him from the dead, then that one statement changes everything. You understand that the resurrection is a divine rebellion against sin, suffering, and death. That it's God saying, I'm bringing about a revolution, and the way of this thing is about to turn around. And Jesus was the first to step foot out of the grave, but we will follow him. That's what the resurrection means for you and for me. And so we need to understand the facts of what the resurrection is about for it to really hit home for us. Secondly, we need to understand fulfillment, the promise and the hope of the gospel. Verse 32 and 33 say, But we bring to you good news of what God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Fulfillment means God keeps his promise. It means that somewhere back in history, God said, I'm going to do such and such. And then you get a little further in history and God goes, now I've done it. And so I fulfilled the promise that I made to you. Fulfillment means that God keeps his promises and that we can trust him. Uh, but you notice the, the way that God fulfills his promises. How, did, how was it he kept them? Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Christ. Verse 38 and 39 says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that there's two phrases I really want you to grab hold of here. That, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. Through this man, by him. If you go back a few verses, it talks about the promise, and it's a singular promise. It's that God has fulfilled the promise. It's the promise of Jesus. It's through this man, Jesus. It's by this man, Jesus, that we are saved, and then he brings about his salvation. That's uh, Jesus is the means through which God accomplishes his plans. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, Scripture tells us. So there's one person. Everything is focused on him. Friends, Christianity is Christ. It's not focusing on his teaching or his approach to life or his philosophy or his kindness that changes your life. It's the person of Jesus. It's through this man and by what he has done for you on the cross and in the empty tomb that your salvation comes. Christ is Christianity. It's his life, his death, and his resurrections. The gospel 
friends, do you understand this? The gospel is not a set of rules or a set of teachings to help you improve enough to be acceptable to God. The gospel is not a set of rules that show you how far you've fallen short so you can climb the ladder of self-perfection until you're acceptable to God and and deserve eternal life for yourself. Now, the gospel is belief in a Savior who came to rescue those who are dead and bring them to life through his death and his resurrection and through the work of his Spirit. And so Jesus is to be accepted, not rejected as Savior, He's our son of God. He's the the holy one who was sent to fulfill God's promises to us to rescue a people for himself. Is that good news? And so there's a fulfillment that we can trust. So we've seen the facts of the resurrection. We've seen the fulfillment that all of this was promised and everything was focused on the one person of Jesus Christ and it's fulfilled in him. So all the promises that God has given in the scriptures, those things that, uh, that, that you stitch and put in your guest bathroom over the, over the toilet, those things that you forward on your Instagram, those great little sayings that everyone loves to cling and, and grab hold of, all of those pointed to Jesus and all of those are accomplished through the mediation of Christ, through him, by him. Through him is the promised one. God fulfills all that he told us he would do. The third key of resurrection is commitment to the gospel is faith. So we have facts, we have fulfillment. And the last thing that Paul points us to is faith. It says, the forgiveness of sins comes to whom? Everyone who believes. It's interesting, if you look through this passage, how outward focused Paul is as he's preaching. He says in verse 32, that we bring the good news to all of you. Verse 38, let it be known to you. Verse 38, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is freed or justified. He's telling us how it is that we appropriate the resurrection for ourselves. How do you take hold of the gift that God offers you? It's through faith. It's through belief. It's not through your works, but it's in your faith and your trusting the work that Jesus already did for you upon the cross and through the empty tomb. This, the key is how we respond. It's interesting when he talks about forgiveness of sins, there's an implication there, isn't it? I mean, Paul's kind of poking at you. Do you see it? that everyone who believes can have forgiveness of sins, there's an assumption there that says that we all are sinners. Um, There's a reality that we all need someone to rescue us from our sins. And what I see in our world is our world pretends that we've somehow progressed beyond the restrictive idea of sin. That that's just an archaic idea that, that comes from the old religious ways and we need to discard of that kind of an idea of sinfulness and brokenness, and we need to embrace our own self. We will not learn from our sins from our performers or from psychology or politics or philosophy. And we will, uh, they will never tell us that we stand condemned under our sin in need of rescue, will they? Uh, that's not the message that we will see in a the world. They tell us that sin is a sham and that the real life is found in being free to live as you want. And yet Christ comes for sinners in order to rescue us. We need to, we learn of our sins from the prophets and from the people of God. And the Bible says that we need forgiveness because none of us are so holy we don't need a savior. And it says that all who believe, it says, are freed or are justified. And that word uh, could be translated either way and it's an important word. It's one of Paul's favorite words through all the rest of his writings. And when he talks about that word of to be justified or to be freed, it means to be acquitted to be set free, to, be, uh, to have your guilt removed or to clear someone of any wrong or transgression. 
And to seek forgiveness is an admission of guilt, an admission that we need to be set free, to be acquitted from our guilt, from our wrongdoing, from the things which we have done. And then Paul makes kind of a strange statement. He says that they could not have been freed by the law of Moses. And he points back to something in the Old Testament. What he's saying to the people he's preaching to in that day, they understood the Bible and they knew exactly what Paul meant by this, is that you are not saved by your obedience to keeping all of the rules. That you will, that will never be enough to save you. Those things are meant to point you to your need for a Savior. And if you weren't totally clear about it, you notice what Paul says? You'll be able to be freed from everything. It's, like, it's almost like he can anticipate the questions. You ever do this with your kids? Like, you know you're going to tell them to chore, and they're like, I just need to do it a little bit later. They're going to start making excuses. They're going to start doing this. Uh, college students, can I get an amen? You know how that is when you get an assignment. You're like trying to navigate. How do I put this off a week? How do I, you know, I just want to play one more game. I just want to hang out and watch one more movie. I just want to do one more thing before I study. Uh, it's like Paul knew the excuses that we're saying. He says, you can be freed. Then he goes, no, you can be freed from everything. Like, don't, don't bring any of the other stuff in. Don't try to make a case. Don't try to find other way, meaning that, that we could never be justified or freed by being moral or righteous. We can never be justified or freed by being more devoted or religious, by being more loving or kind-hearted or accepting. That we're only freed or accepted because of Christ and what he's done for us. And so we need to be saved from everything that is not Jesus. Is that clear? You see what Paul's trying to get us to understand? Friends, can I give you a word of encouragement that I think what Paul's trying to help us understand? Run to Jesus. Stop running after everything else. Stop trying all the other ways to be happy. Stop trying all the other ways to find meaning in life, to find purpose, to find hope. Stop chasing a different identity or a new job or another spouse or a, a better situ life situations or different circumstances. Stop trying to think, well, if I just find some different way of thinking or approaching life, it's going to change it all. You yourself are never going to be enough. You need to be freed from everything that's not Jesus because Jesus is the only one whose hopes are, are strong enough for us. Friends, I don't know where your journey is today. Maybe you never understood what all this was about and you needed someone to show you the way. Or maybe, maybe you've heard this before, but you've wandered from the path of truth. And you need to come back and come to Jesus today and to trust him. Um, let's talk about how we respond to this message because the condition for our salvation is clear. To everyone who believes, you can experience the forgiveness of sins. You can experience the freedom and justification of being made right with God. You can experience the power of the resurrection in your life now and forevermore. So let's talk about how we need to respond to this message. Friends, if you're trying to understand Christianity or how to live as a Christian without a full understanding of the resurrection, do you realize how hard that task is? Do you realize how impossible it is for you to live out the Christian life apart from understanding the resurrection of Jesus and all that it means for you and what it's really about? I came across a story a couple weeks ago that I thought gave a great picture of what religious effort apart from resurrection power looks like. And the story was of these two gentlemen that uh, had been in prison for 
some petty theft or, or they were in jail and not really awful stuff in Newport News, Virginia. And uh, they managed to get themselves uh, to sneak out of jail. They took a toothbrush and a little piece of metal and they had dug their way out of their jail cell and they managed to escape the jail. In fact, they got out, it says they ran to a couple other barriers. They managed to scale a couple of walls. Uh, think about how long it takes it would take to dig through a cinder block wall with a toothbrush. I mean, these guys were working themselves to the bone to escape for a moment of freedom. Uh, now, the interesting thing about the story, what caught, the reason I read it, was that like just two, three hours after they escaped, they were caught again in an IHOP. That was what they wanted. Uh, can you imagine that you've been imprisoned your whole, you've been in prison, you've been trapped, you've been unable to see the light of the sky or anything else, and the one thing that you have to have is a little bit of syrup and a pancake. And that's all they got for it. And so as they sat there eating their pancakes, uh, someone spotted them and went, hey, those are the guys on the news. And they came up, picked them up, put them right back in jail. Friends, do you understand that, that if you don't understand the resurrection, that that's how some of you are living the Christian life? You're living it as something that you have to work yourselves to the bone to accomplish and to escape and just to get a moment of freedom. And then your freedom feels like a little bit of a pancake before you're stuck back in jail of your sin again. And so you, you work and you work and you work and you're like, oh, I got a little something good. And you're like, oh, I'm back in my own patterns again. I'm stuck in my own sin again. This isn't really freedom. And what you, you begin to think is, I guess Christianity doesn't work. I guess Christ isn't enough. I guess it's not strong enough to really give me freedom. I, I don't think this is hope enough for me to hold on to. I don't think I want to cling to this Christ anymore because all it is is a lot of hard work and a moment of freedom before I go back and be stuck in exactly the pattern I was before. And what you need to hear this Easter is, the resurrection is more than that. God's grace is bigger than that. God's grace isn't just get yourself on the right track, work really hard, taste a little bit of goodness, and get trapped in your own sin again. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done for you. Christ lived. Christ died. Christ was buried, but God raised him from the dead. And because of that, everyone who believes is freed, justified from their sin. They have forgiveness they have life forevermore. Is that good news? Do you need that hope today? Let me just ask you, friends, will you just believe that the gospel is true and that the resurrection is real? Will you allow that just to be oxygen for your spiritual life? Because if you're not living in light of the resurrection, you're going to feel like you're trying to climb Everest with thin oxygen and nothing to breathe that gives you life. It's going to feel empty. Friends, we trust and we put our faith in things all the time. Uh, you put your faith in the sell-by date on a, piece of, on, a, on a package of ground beef every week you go to the grocery store. You go pick up a pack of meat and there's a sell-by date. And you're like, oh, we better eat it by then. If we don't, like that's going in the trash or it has to be put in the freezer. It's, you're actually exhibiting faith. You're trusting the sell-by date. Uh, you look up movies and you go, hey, there's a new movie out. And you get on Rotten Tomatoes and you trust what Rotten Tomatoes says about what you should do with your movie-viewing pleasure. Uh, we express faith in all kinds of ways. We see a Surgeon General's warnings on cigarettes, and you go, probably shouldn't, right? We take people's word for granted all the time, and yet what you see in the, in, in the Scriptures is that Christ lived, Christ died, Christ was buried in a tomb. There's a, ro a rock put across the face of that tomb, and then Christ got up and walked out in the resurrection, and he appeared over 40 days to over 500 people. His resurrection 
is attested to. What would it take for you to believe in the resurrection? Friends, it's not good to argue with people who beat death and walk out. People who step out of the tomb are worth listening to. Let's listen to Christ. Let's let it be life for our souls to nourish us day by day and forevermore. Let me pray for us. Father, in Christ's resurrection, we know that forgiveness is free, that your love won't leave, that we have a relationship with you that's restored and will never end, that our lives have meaning, that our future is certain, that today is full of hope. Father, I pray for each person here that they might see the resurrection in a new way this, this Easter, that they might know Christ and him crucified, but they would also know Christ resurrected and the power it means for us. Father, we pray through him, by him, and for him. Amen.